This podcast is a member of WGPRN, wildgamesproductions.com. I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Greetings, folks. This is the World Initiative Podcast, volume number three, issue number 118. I am DM Vince, sitting with DM Matt. Hello, everyone. How you doing, Matt? Doing well. Doing well. Good, good, good. This week, DM Nick is uh, out. He will be with his family attending an event, but uh, we have someone else filling in. You might have heard his voice last week. Uh, Tim, he's coming back. Uh, we're upgrading him to GM Tim because this is his second appearance. So, Tim, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks for upgrading me. I feel uh, I feel special. Oh, how sweet. How you been, Tim? Good. Uh, we had a little trip. To, uh, our local art museum had a family fun day, so we did a little uh, three-legged races and some tug-of-war today, so we're kind of uh, tired out as a family. Do you have a chance to uh, bring the ninja class to your, your students and see what they had to say? <laughs> I didn't, but I did tell my son and daughter about the class, and I, I, I said what we should do is I should have each of them play a different version of the ninja class and see which one they enjoy more. <laughs> The Dragon Magazine version or the Oriental Adventures version? And that's upcoming, I assume? We'll have to schedule that in because we just didn't have time this week. Too many things going on. Yeah, I played my weekly 1E game. Uh, well, bi-weekly. Uh, had a good time. Everybody, I have a lot of players. I have about nine players now, probably going up to ten with a new person coming in. So it's going to be a big game to manage. But it seems to work out pretty well. Everyone seems to have fun, so... Uh... Matt, how about you? What's your game and doing? Uh, nothing at the moment because I ended up missing last week's session because I had to pick a friend up from the airport. At the same time, uh, we'd be gaming. And then uh, this week, uh, one of my players is out, so I think we're going to do a one-shot of like a Warhammer 40K RPG, but I'm not sure. Someone else is running the game tonight, so I'll kind of know what we're doing once I get there. Yeah, I know my group was running Warhammer Fantasy at one point. I don't know if it's similar to that, same rules or anything. I think Fantasy's closer to the new Star Wars game with the goofy dice, or... Yeah, f um, no, this was made by the company before Fantasy Flight. They were playing that edition. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I, believe, I don't know. I don't usually go. They usually play it on Fridays. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, that's that. No real news going on. I know uh, update on Ronald Corn situation after he, uh, he's got a lot of donations from various people and he appreciates it. Uh, you got a bunch of stuff from AEG. You got a bunch of stuff from, uh, oh, I forget who it was, various gamers. I know that. People are very generous and we thank you for being generous for that. So uh, that's that. Let's head into our first segment. <laughs> Of all the evil creatures in the world, I like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. Table manners this week. We're going to do a look back episode like we've done in the past, looking back at other games that have been around during the time first edition was out on the market. We're going to take a look back at a game that was 
out in about what was it 1986 i believe it hit the market shelves here if i'm looking correctly it was done by the west end games publishing studios who west end games is no longer in business now but anyway the west end games doing capitalizing on what it did best uh taking a game from a movie and making it into a game or taking a, a movie and making it into a game excuse me we're going to be looking at ghostbusters the game the d6 game by west end games so in 1984 this hit the movie theater it did successfully well and then in 1986 west end games decided well let's uh, capitalize on that and make a ghostbusters game where you get to play the role of the ghostbusters uh it was a pretty simple game based on a d6 dice it was the first uh pool dice system that was ever pretty much invented it was uh games like vampire were based off of this star wars was later generated kind of off this game it featured uh four stats or traits which a character would have and they'd have 12 points to divide amongst these we would call brains muscles moves and cool and you could score them between one to five between each of them and then you would also have talents which are basically your skills and each character can dead, I believe it was. They, they get 12 points to assign to the Ford when uh, creating. Right. But the tr- the talents, I think, were different. Though. Yeah, the talents, they each got to, you got to pick one talent per, and it added plus three to your uh, appropriate skill. Right, there, I wrote it down here. Sorry, the character score in each talent is three points higher than the associated trait. For example, if you put a a one in cool, and then you have convince under cool as a skill talent, uh, you'd be on a four. So how does that work? You'd basically take the cool stat with a trait and add it with another one, such as uh, dexterity or this or that, and you add them together. You get a dice pool of d6s, so you have a three and a three, and it becomes six dice you roll, and you work from there. And you try to get over a target number, much like on the d20 systems where the GM assigns you a target number, which he doesn't usually tell, and you roll your dice to try to beat that number to beat the system. But there was a little flaw in that system. There was a special ghost die that was in there that kind of screwed things up for the player and made things better for the GM. But we'll talk about that next segment when we talk about the actual rules itself. So what did you guys think of this uh, system? Oh, I apologize before we continue. There was also brownie points, which uh, the players can use to modify the situation in case they really fail badly or need to have something resolved really quickly. So, Matt, what are your initial thoughts on the game after reading it? Yeah. This game looks it looks like it would be fun. Um, there's It's a lot of emphasis is put on the storytelling of both the Ghostmaster as it's Put in the game and the actual players when your successes or failures a lot of it's very narrative and depending on you being able to actually uh, uh, describe what's happening on a player's end like if you uh, fail the player gets to describe how they're failing if they can if they can do it in, or act, actually that's more for surviving like if they survive like say they're falling off a building they yeah. can say I'm trying to succeed in not dying, which actually it says in the game, no one really dies in this game. So mm-hmm. don't expect character death unless they do something really, really, really horribly stupid. Yeah. But they, that's when they can spend those bra- they can spend brownie points like, well, I'm going to try to avoid dying. 
and they make the roll and they hit it, then they get to describe how they succeeded from this very uh, extreme situation. And if they do it in an amusing manner, the uh, Ghostmaster can actually give them back these brownie points, kind of uh, a reward for being entertaining. Yeah, there's 20 brownie points to start with I'm looking at here. Right. So if you have a group that's very creative, you can have a lot of fun with this because it it really lends itself to be kind of comedic. It much like the, it's like the movie. The movie is a comedy at the same time it's not. There's it, there's a lot of funny situations in it at the same time it's with an overall serious tone blended in. So if you have players that can throw in the comedy at the appropriate times and keep the story going and very creative, you can have a lot of fun, I think, with this system. And and plus, it's easy to teach. The mechanics we'll, that we'll talk about later are really, really simple. So I like it. It would be good for a change of pace, I think. It's more I, – I after reading – I've played this a long time ago in the past, but I noticed that the game emphasizes more playing the Ghostbuster characters than creating your own Ghostbusters, which I understand because that's where they focus most of the story on. But it did later on become a little bit easier to make up characters. You still can make up a character, but later on in Ghostbusters International, the second version of this game in 89, to capitalize on the, new, on the Ghostbusters 2 movie – they put more rules and how to make up characters better and make them more detailed as opposed to just, yeah, here's some points, have fun. Right. Because the rules didn't explain things like movement or range or anything. It was just kind of like, you know, you're here, you're there, right. you do this. Yeah, it's very beer and pretzel RPG. You're not going to spend a lot of time arguing rules because it's really, you roll your dice, is it bigger than this or smaller than this number? That's really all there is to it. So it's really about the narrative storytelling on on what the players are doing and what the ghost master is presenting. And when you even look into, like we'll talk about later, some of the ghosts in the game, or in the, and there's also a slew of just uh, game ideas and adventure ideas, then they all have this underwhelming uh, com- comedic twist to them. They're all, yes, you're dealing with ghosts, demons, and scary things at the same time. It's, there's one ghost who uh, he found his demise when he drowned in a cup of coffee when some artwork fell on him. Nice. So you're going to have a lot of stuff like that. There's a lot of tongue-in-cheek elements to it. And you're not going to have an ultra-serious gaming session involving Ghostbusters. It's not wow. that type of game. You'll be sitting around probably laughing hysterical half the time with some of the things that happen when you roll the dice and some of the things you want to do because you have to think outside the box for a lot of playing this game. It's not just a straight forward shoot your blaster at everything or hack and slash type thing. This is more of a let's think, what are we going to do, and let's do it. Right. Like the Ghostbusters pretty much. Right. And it also tells you in the game not every ghost can be beaten with a proton pack. So for the, year, the players that do want to go in and just zap every ghost, that's not always going to work. Think about in Ghostbusters 2, how did they defeat that big bad? They took that pink slime and sprayed the Statue of Liberty, wired up a NES Advantage controller, and walked the Statue of Liberty through Manhattan. Not a lot of proton pack shooting there. Not a lot of slime shooting, though. Yes. But <laughs> in the first... 
Compared to the first movie, though, there was a lot of shooting in the first movie. And this game just wants you to emphasize that. It's not everything is just going to be, oh, shoot it, throw it in containment. There's other ways to solve problems. When looking at the two movies side by side, I have to say that two was a little bit more goofier than one, obviously. But Yes, it, Yes, the power of love playing in the background as a giant Statue of Liberty wanders through to give hope to Manhattan when I can't. It was like Victor something or other. I can't remember the name of the evil guy in the painting that brainwashed uh, Dan Aykroyd. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't think of his name. Yeah. But, Didn't matter at this point. Well, right. <laughs> but it, it's just instead of just apparitions floating, they were dealing with a evil guy in a painting I mean and this game has a lot of that in in it. it there's it tells just if you can't see the ghost you can't contain it even though it may be say possessing a taxi cab as one of the adventures says it, so just prepare for a lot of wacky chaos just watch the movies see what the ghosts were doing and just bring some of that into the game uh at no point were any of those ghosts really super scary other than the fact they were ghosts. They were actually doing lots of silly things. Think Slimer eating the uh, cart yep. of hot dogs. Was he really being all that scary or evil? No, he was just being annoying. <laughs> and that's what a lot of the ghosts are in Ghostbusters. Annoying. Yeah, there's your gozers and your Stay Puft Marshmallow Men's that will destroy cities. But for the most part, they're annoying. Not world-destroying. Some funny little tidbits about the movie that they never actually saw a ghost until the actual post-production of the movie. So they were basically just screaming at walls and pictures that were placed on the wall for them. Right. So (laughs) that's just one of the little funny things that Bill Murray always said in his interviews. And a lot of the roles, uh, people don't know, were meant for other certain people. I just wanted to point out that uh, the Eddie Murphy, uh, Eddie Murphy was supposed to be the Winston Zedmore character and... uh, uh, the Pete Van- Pete Vankman character was supposed to be uh, John Belushi, and the Lewis Tully character was supposed to be John Candy. Apparently, so they had to switch a lot of roles. Yeah. Belushi, obviously, because he passed away. But yeah, yeah, but yeah. And during initial screenings of the movie, when they were like doing their test marketing, they didn't have the ghost uh, effects finished either. So, oh, pe- like- so people were watching the movie with half finished uh, ghost effects. And people still love the movie. So that's when they knew they had something on their hands. <laughs> when when the movie isn't actually even complete and they're really enjoying the movie. So, Yeah, and didn't you – I don't know if you guys uh, researched any of this stuff, but my understanding was the original draft or at least the, uh, the rough draft of the Ghostbusters script by Dan Aykroyd was based on the then contemporary science of ghost hunting. And so he was trying to bring in – uh, like the PKE meters were, were based on some kind of technology that, that people were experimenting with at the time. So his original conception was, hey, let's do an old-fashioned ghost hunting movie, like like the old Hollywood ghost movies, but let's bring in some of the high-tech understandings of, of para-science that we now understand. And I believe the original script had either time travel or yeah. dimension travel. It went a lot further, and it was this massive epic thing that would have cost billions of dollars to actually film, and they had to really scale it down when they when they got funding for the movie. Yeah, because originally it was called Ghost uh, Mashers, 
And they right. traveled through time and space when like SWAT outfits and had wands. Right. Instead of the the proton packs, they had wands. Right. So yeah, it was far more they tra- uh, sci-fi originally, and then when it got approval, Ivan Reitman uh, said, "Yeah, we're not going to be able to afford to make this movie, so let's bring it down a notch." So and one of the things that surprised me, I guess it didn't surprise me, but it was it was delightful to see uh, because I hadn't I wasn't familiar with this game at all until I checked it out this week. And the rules are actually funny. I mean, the way it's written is yeah. actually funny. It's not just, hey, here's a goofy game and yuck, yuck, here's an elbow to the ribs. It actually has some funny lines in there. It has some self-deprecating humor. It has some almost some satire of role-playing games themselves. And it's really a, a well-written piece of, of role-playing game history that's that's funny and worth reading, even if you don't play it, I think. It's written, most of it's written from point of view of characters talking to you from the movie. So, like, you have a section here, and, like, you kind of think Bill Murray's talking about it, or Peter Venkman's talking about it, or Egon's talking about it, or, you know, Ray Stan's talking. It's kind of cool how the way they present the actual book itself. Which they lost that appeal in the second one, I believe. Yeah, I, I haven't read the second one, but I know, and I know we'll talk more about the the specific rules, the mechanics, such as they are later on. But the uh, the game itself was a West End Games production, but it was written by the Chaosium guys. So the West End Games uh, people who wrote Paranoia weren't the same guys who wrote Ghostbusters. They actually brought in basically the guys who wrote. Um, the Call of Cthulhu game. They brought those guys over to do the Ghostbusters game, and it's a very different mechanic than Call of Cthulhu. But but I found that interesting that they kind of uh, took a whole crew from Chaosium and brought them over to West End to create this what became a very influential kind of game system, even though people may not know it. I could tell you probably count on my both hands how many times West End games changed over staff to accommodate games. Tons and tons. Of, there were so many hand. So many owner changes for West End games over the years. It's unbelievable. But that's a different day for a different story. And I will say, uh, just to chime in on what you guys were saying, I I did run a little test version of this game this week with, with my two kids. And they created characters, and they loved the character generation system because it was so open. It was just, yeah. here's your little ID card. Uh, what I had them do was I had them play themselves 12 years from now. And I said, okay, you guys are adult versions of yourselves. Stat yourself up using the, you know, you have 12, uh, 12 numbers to, to kind of uh, distribute between your traits and then give yourself a talent that you think you would have in your 20s. And they loved playing older versions of themselves and they loved the, the system. They loved the simplicity of it and how quick it was to create the character. Yeah, I, I, I really do like the system, how, how easy it is, how open it is. And I'm glad the kids liked it. That's cool. I like that. That's good. Good job. Brownie yeah. point for you, my friend. Thank, thank you. I'll spend it wisely. Okay. <laughs> how did you? Uh, how? What type of adventure did you run for them exactly? Or well, what I did was so I created. Um, you know, they created their characters, and then I gave them some sample equipment. And the premise was it takes place basically in 2025 because it takes place 12 years in the future. Right. Uh, but they've inherited the old Ghostbusters equipment. It was like they were long lost relatives of Egon or somebody like that. I didn't really go into detail about the, the backstory, but I said you inherited a bunch of equipment. Most of it doesn't work, but you were able to get a few pieces of equipment to work. So they had a PKE meter and a ghost trap and a one proton pack and the Ecto-1 was still broken down. They couldn't get that to work. <laughs> and then uh, I ran the adventure written by Daniel Greenberg called Hot Rods of the Gods. 
Oh yeah, which is which is a parody of the Eric von Daniken uh, Chariots of the Gods approach to alien astronauts and the whole idea that the aliens were the ones who helped humans build the pyramids. And uh, this is a parody of that. And so it, it actually uh, sets up a scenario where the, the gods are these teenage pranksters uh, who are really aliens. So they're these alien life forms who basically just want to drive hot rods around the earth using spaceships. And that's the culmination of the adventure. But to get to that, they have to explore and find out about this girl who's being possessed, but it turns out she's actually possessed by this star seeker who's someone who's in contact with these ancient gods who are actually alien punks. And you learn about this secret organization that's – it's really the men in black, what it is. And this module was written in the mid-80s, right after the Ghostbusters game was written. But it's very similar to the Men in Black movie. It has characters called Men in Black, which obviously is an old-fashioned term for, for, for G-Men. But the, uh, they actually have a mind-wipe device, and it has a lot of the same humor about the weirdo aliens that the Men in Black movie has. And it predates the Men in Black movie by half a decade or, or decade, and it predates the Men in Black comic book, which the movie was based on. So I almost wonder if the tone of the Men in Black movie was somewhat influenced by this Ghostbusters module. It may not have been, but it's very similar in tone. And so I ran that with the kids. I ran at least the first couple of, uh, there's like several chapters, there's probably uh, eight or nine chapters in the, in the Hot Rods to Gods. I ran the first couple of chapters, and one of the things that my son was disappointed in was that there weren't any actual ghosts. They had all this ghost hunting technology, but every time they thought it was a ghost, it was actually some kind of alien being, and they <laughs> had to use they had to use their ingenuity to figure out how to defeat these aliens, or at least try to keep them from causing havoc. Uh, and he was like, "I just want to fight ghosts." <laughs> yeah, but, <clears throat> unfortunately, that wasn't written that way. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I understand him like, "Oh." Especially because the, the obviously you think you got your, your PKE meter and you've got your ghost trap and you can't really use it, uh, but the game itself, the Ghostbusters game, mentions that it's not just about ghosts; that it's about really paranormal investigations, and so it's not narrowed to kind of a, a, a jokey horror genre. It's it's wide open to any kind of weird thing that the players and game master can come up with. The Ghost Master, sorry. Yeah. That does make a good point about the Men in Black uh, Men in Black movie being based because the comic book was really serious and they were yeah. around and they were much different. They killed people and whatever they can get their hands on in the comic book. So yeah, maybe they did base it off of that. Who knows? Yeah, if you're playing a Men in Gap a Men in Black role playing game, you could use these Ghostbusters rules straight up. They would fit perfectly for the tone of Men in Black. Oh yeah, definitely. The system would lend itself very easily to the later Men in Black game that came out by West End Games in 99, I believe it is. Yeah, perfect fit. Perfect fit. All right, cool. Let's head over to some uh, DM rules. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want, but are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. In DM rules, I am taking over the ship oh. here, oh, talking okay. about DM stuff. Uh, the Ghostbusters mechanic, as we talked about earlier, is super simple. It's just a dice pool mechanic. Six-sided dice, 
you have a handful of them based on your traits or your talents and you roll them but the twist is that you also have the ghost die and the ghost die was specially packaged with the ghostbusters game and it was a six-sided die but instead of a six it had a ghost on it and so whenever you roll let's say a brains check and if your brains were four you'd roll three six-sided dice plus a six-sided ghost die and if a ghost came up that means that number which would have been a six doesn't count towards your roll and something bad happens. That's actually the official terminology terminology in the rules is that something bad happens. Uh, if you succeed your difficulty check based on the other numbers of your roll, then you still succeed. There's just an inconvenience that pops up that the ghost master decides on. If you fail and a ghost comes up, then something really bad happens. And that's the essence of the mechanic in Ghostbusters. It's really just you roll some dice and then the ghost master determines what happens. So there's not a lot of nitty gritty rules around any of that. Uh, right. It's setting a difficulty number, it's rolling some dice, and then based on how well you rolled or how poorly, the ghost master just kind of makes up what happens. And the, the goal is to make it as odd and interesting as possible. Yes, and uh, don't forget the ghost die works in favor of the uh, baddies as well. Right, so if you are, let's say, you're trying to stop a cultist who's running away from you, uh, and you would want to decide what trait or talent you want to use. So, for example, when we played with my kids, um, my son gave himself a two moves, which is basically like your dexterity agility, and he gave yeah. himself a five in throwing because it's the the two plus three for the for the talent uh, right. because he's got some experience playing baseball. So when one of the the bad alien cultist guys was trying to get away after a break in. He picked up something from the counter and threw it at him to try to knock him down or knock him unconscious. And nice. so he rolled 5d6, and then if he had rolled a ghost die, which he didn't, uh, then the ghost die would have caused some kind of reaction, and maybe something would have – maybe it would have ricocheted off the corner of the house, and it would have bonked uh, my son's character in the head. Or it would have uh, created such a loud noise that all the neighbors woke up, and then they turned the lights on, and that distracted uh, the ghost busters who couldn't stop the cultists from running away. Something to that effect. It also works in favor of the ghosts themselves when they're rolling dice as well. True. So the yeah. The the ghost master rolls on behalf of the ghost, right? And if it show if it pops up, it's like a bonus for the bad guys. Which the ghost master pretty much can just make up on whatever he wants to happen at that point. So, and that's what I found to be one of the challenging things of running the game is that it's it's so rules light, which I like, um, and it's actually in the game book. It talks about it specifically being a cinematic game. It uses that terminology and it contrasts it to something like Call of Cthulhu or Dungeons and Dragons, which are based on literature, and those are literary games. And that's why they're they're kind of very wordy games and the systems are a little bit more complex. But Ghostbusters is based on a movie and it's supposed to be cinematic and it's supposed to be freewheeling and fast. And so because there's no hard and fast rules about a lot of this stuff, it's up to the players and the Ghostmaster to be quick on their feet with improvisation. And so you want to make it creative and fun, but because it's moving so quickly, sometimes it's hard to come up with an interesting perspective on you know, the reaction that happens based on a die roll. So that's the trick. You have to have really good players in the Ghostmaster, I think, to make the game excellent. Yeah, you do have to have some players who like to have fun. You can't have those serious type players that want to – nothing wrong with them, but those people would probably not understand the game. Right. 
I've always equated it to if you ever ever you guys have heard of the game Tune before. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. It's like a D&D player who's serious playing Tune. They have no clue what to do. Right. Yeah, it's like I heard Glenn talk about that. He was playing Tune with some people and they had no idea what to do because it wasn't laid out in the rules what they were supposed to do. Yeah, I played Tune with my former group, and it was just like, what do you do? He's like, uh, I don't know. I run after him. I'm like, okay, what else? <laughs> yeah. I, um, I don't know. I tackle him. I'm like, all right, what else? I don't know what else. What else can I do? I'm like, you're a cartoon character. You can pull things out of your butt, literally. <laughs> Whatever you can imagine, yeah. I don't think they can get around that that whole concept. No. no, and I think uh, for the Ghostbusters game, we talked about the brownie points. And the way the brownie points work, as you mentioned, you start with 20. Uh, on the ID card, it actually goes up to 60, but you can technically have as many brownie points as the Ghostmaster awards. Uh, and you regain them at the end of uh, adventures or even during adventures, depending on what the Ghostmaster decrees. But the brownie points, if you were playing with someone who was a serious gamer or a power gamer, the brownie points could really be abused. Because when you add a brownie point, you get to add a die to your roll. And so if you start with 20, knowing that you really can't die in the game, I mean, you're not even if you get down to zero brownie points, you're you're not likely to die based on the way this game is set up. So there's nothing from from stopping a player from just burning through his brownie points to try to increase his rolls. But that's not the spirit of the game. I mean, that's that's not what this game is about. The game is about conserving brownie points, using them for for fun and interesting opportunities. Uh, if you take damage, you might lose some brownie points. But once again, that's totally up to the DM. It, it says in the rules that the DM just makes up a number. So you might fall from a 30-story building, and you might take one brownie point of damage, or you might take 10, depending on what the game master, the ghost master, wants to happen in the story. Right. The game actually says in the rules, there is no difference between falling 5 feet or 50 feet in this game. Right. They're one and the same. It's all about the storytelling and the description of how you're falling. When you fall, are you able to catch that awning or catch the fire escape, slide that down, bounce off the awning into a pile of hay in a cart being pulled by a horse and buggy? <laughs> it, it that And that's the type of stuff you're looking for in this game, these weird uh, – occurrences that imp highly improbable should never happen but they do and they always happen because it's a very cinematic game and it's there you're supposed to be in exciting situations and so just going in okay sneaking around being real conservative isn't the point of this game it's you go in you kick the door you loot the room you're you spray the ghost with your uh, proton packs, and then you get slimed. It's not about, okay, heavy, detailed tactics. It's about wacky hijinks. Yeah, and if you read any of the published adventures or even in the, uh, the operations manual, some of the scenarios they present, they're mostly heavily scripted. And I think they're heavily scripted because it emphasizes that a lot of it is the interaction between the characters and whatever uh, NPCs they encounter or whatever the terminology is for this game. And so they're scripted heavily so that you can have wacky banter. And so you'll have kind of wacky hijinks and you'll use the brownie points as a player to edit the scene to make something interesting and, and weird happen on your behalf. But you will spend a lot of the game. And this is something I think my kids found uh, fun when they played. A lot of the game is just talking to other characters that you encounter and 
reacting to the the witty things they're saying and they really liked for example when one of the characters in the hot rods for the gods adventure she was a teenager who talked like a valley girl but she was possessed by this star seeker who talked like this you know completely omnipotent being and she would alternate back and forth between those two voices and they had a fun time bouncing off that character to see what reaction she would have if she'd go in the star seeker voice or the teeny bopper voice or a mixture of the two Hmm. Interesting. And there's actually a, a subsystem in the rules called routines, which the Ghostmaster can ignore. But that's one of the things that the Ghostbusters game sets up. It's a very simple mechanic, just the dice pool mechanic, um, hitting the difficulty number or failing to hit the difficulty number, uh, which is very flexible and can be used in basically every situation. But on top of that, they layer in this thing called routines. And in the Hot Rods for the Gods adventure, which I played a little bit with, they added in rules for racing. So they have like a mini racing board game within the game just to add this subsystem to make it a little bit more granular around a specific action. But routines in the operations manual deal with the fact that Ghostbusters, because the whole premise is that you're part of the Ghostbusters franchise. And so as part of the Ghostbusters franchise, there are things that, that commonly pop up. And it has these routines, which are ways for the Ghostmaster to resolve the, the stuff that happens a lot with the Ghostbusters franchise. For example, things like uh, how to deal with car chases, how to deal with what else did it have? Obtaining permits, going to court. There's actually a D6 table uh, and you roll. So if you're trying to do a, a car chase, you'd roll a D6. And then based on what you rolled, it would tell you what happens. And sometimes it requires a difficulty check. Sometimes it just is, is an effect. And then you'd roll on the second column for car chases with a D6 to see what happens next. And, and so it's a subsystem that helps to guide the DM through routines that commonly pop up. But even the rules say that you can completely ignore this or create your own. It doesn't really matter. It just provides guidance on how to handle these situations that commonly appear. Yeah, I think it was meant more for uh, people that were having a hard time, like you said, ad-libbing or, or just needed something to move things a little along a little more quickly. So, Yeah, I think most experienced players and game masters would just ignore the routines because it slows you down to have to look things up, and that's not cinematic at all. Right? No, that's probably what they had the reference file cards for. I know the yeah. game a lot of reference file cards, actually. Did you guys look closely at that? Because I, I didn't really get a good look at the reference file cards. So what kind of things were in the reference files? It basically was uh, who can play, how do I start playing. Here are the rules. Step one, choose a character. Traits. It basically one of those, like a quick start guide. Right. I'm looking at it right now, in fact. Yeah. The, I said that. Yeah, the one was a, a quick start guide. There was another one that had like a, descri like a description of play kind of like in the first DMG there was that example of play and it would just say this pl player one says this and shows you how everything the players were uh, interacting with the situation the uh, Ghostmaster was adjudicating them so they were really just you could get away with reading those first and have a basic understanding of playing the game because when you really go into the books most of the books are are ideas it's in for running slot. games it's, it's like yeah, yeah you could have this type of ghost or this type of ghost or there's this situation you could look at and yeah there's a, a random adventure generation table that uses you roll 2d6 and then you look at 
basically what who the problem is with where the problem takes place and what is the problem and you could generate a lot of scenario scenario ideas just from that one uh three column table right. it's actually pretty useful yeah actually i could totally hijack this for the marvel superheroes rpg yeah, yeah. just replace that what's happening with like super villain stuff instead of uh uh ghosts and uh mystical stuff and boom it's a superhero one Meanwhile, at the Halls of Justice. Sorry, <laughs> that was the wrong game. Yeah. Didn't they? Uh, West End had a DC Universe yes. D6 yes. game, right? Uh, no, it was not D6. It was not D6? It, it wasn't was the same a, mechanic? No, it was some it's wacky just... sy- system that involved uh, things being exponential. So hmm. one was, the difference between one and two was exponential. And then two and three was an exponential. So you're basically... So no, that was the uh, that was the Mayfair. DC oh, the Mayfair. Oh yeah, the West. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm I went to Mayfair, but though the uh, no, they had uh, dice that had superhero logos on them. I remember. Did they? I've never actually seen the West End DC. I remember it coming out, but I never saw what was inside. I ha- I have the b- book, but I've never actually read it. As I just stated, I defaulted to the Mayfair version. Yeah, everything had DC logos on it, or you can use six siders to equate to that. And they had. Uh, Dark side, uh, his face logo on there as well. Yeah, it was like and, a dark side Batman, Superman. Yes, that's it. Correct. And I will say when I when I play tested the Ghostbusters game with my kids, I did take some random uh, white D sixes and draw a ghost on the D on the six with red permanent marker because I could have just had them use a different colored die for that ghost die, and if six came up, but. We wanted to actually have the effect of, oh, no, there's a ghost. Uh, it, it creates a more visceral reaction when they roll that. Yeah, it's not as fun unless you have that little ghost pop up. Exactly. And I haven't played the Star Wars West End games in a long time. I, I played it a lot in the 90s. But my memory of it was that it's pretty similar to this Ghostbusters game. And it even has the wild die instead of the ghost die, which is basically the same thing, except the wild die is if you roll a six, it's good. And if you roll a one, it's bad. Is that how that worked? It also exploded, too. The six exploded, right. Yeah, so... One, then you would take away the highest number. But it really is. It's the same mechanic. All that Star Wars did was add uh, basically more traits and talents. It was more skills-heavy. But it was just a D6 pool game with a a difficulty number, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because the Ghostbusters game was the foundation for the Star Wars game. Yes. So... Oh, yeah. Sadly, we mourn West End games. Yeah. <laughs> I have heard people complain about the D6 system, and, and I don't know if people know this, but on RPG Now, you can actually download basically almost all of the non-proprietary D6 systems from West End games, like D6 Adventure, D6 Space. Those are all free, free PDFs on RPG Now. Um, and I've heard a lot of people complain about the D6 system, whether it's Star Wars or the generic ones, because because of the dice pool mechanic and how it could get ridiculous if characters got more powerful. But I, I've never experienced that where it was like so many dice being rolled. Have you guys had that problem in other D6 games? Not at all. No. Um, I've played Savage Worlds, which has the exploding dice, and you're exploding on a D4 in that game at times, and I've never had a problem with them rolling a D4 five times in a row. I think the biggest complaint was there was like when people play Vampire the Masquerade or Vampire this or whatever or Werewolf was that there was, there's just too many dice that you have to count. Oh, 
Who cares? That's Shadowrun <laughs> when you need to roll 20 dice. I guess. It does – with my nine-year-old daughter, it slowed it down a little bit when she had to count all those pips. But, you know, not really. I mean she could count them fast enough that it didn't slow things down too much. Uh, I don't know. It seems like I guess with, with one of the vampire games because – dice rolling doesn't happen as often it's more role playing than dice rolling maybe people don't like the fact that when they do have to roll it's this big pile uh, but with star wars and ghostbusters i know in my memory of star wars anyway in my current playing of ghostbusters it was a lot of fun to roll those dice yeah i thought it was cool and those books are free because uh when i believe the owner eric gibson took over west end games i think in 2006 or 7 he opened up the d6 open license and decided to make everything public and then sold off all the assets of west end games except for torg and went into like hiding pretty much yeah cuz they ended up licensing torg to another company yeah he pretty much took west end games and his ball and went home but I think if you're playing just a, if you want to create your own role-playing scenario and you just take one of those generic D6 systems, they really apply to almost any setting so well. I think it's a good system. Well, the uh, I know there was some problems because I have the D6 fantasy, and there are some problems with the magic system getting a little bit wacky in the game. Mm. But uh, they are, there's plenty of uh, licensed D6 supplements online from other companies that made like Mini 6, and I think it was called Anti-Paladin oh. Games, made up Mini 6, which, which clarified a lot of the rules. So uh, you can check for various games on the web by companies that made their own fantasy campaigns based on the D6 open license. Hmm. So that's that. A lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Yeah. Anyway, I think Matt has a ghost coming up next. Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long gorilla? Creature feature theater. It's alive! It's alive! And now on this week's uh, edition of the Creature Feature, of course we're going to be talking about a ghost since it's Ghostbusters. And actually... I think we'll mention a few ghosts because with this, it's not about the stats of the ghosts. It's the backstory of the ghosts and why they are ghosts that really matters when it comes to Ghostbusters. I had mentioned the first one I'll talk about earlier. The guy who drowned in a cup of coffee, <laughs> Luigi Elgato. He was an art director who, in the course of trying to meet a tight deadline... Uh, suffered an accident, was buried under a pile of rubber-cemented galleys, and drowned in his cup of coffee. And now he haunts the art department where he was trying to meet that deadline. He wanders around just chain-smoking, filling rooms with ecto-smoke and cigarette burns, and then he also goes and reorganizes everything in the art department. And uh, hiding supplies and rearranging things and just being an overall nuisance. And, and he also leaves a trail of rubber cement wherever he goes and gibbers, slap it down and get it out as he does this. <laughs> so, as you can see with this, it's not going to be a scary thing. If the worst your ghost does is rearrange your filing drawer, he's not that big of a pain. But most of the ghosts aren't. It's more of, 
Why does this keep happening? We need to stop this annoyance. And the all ghosts, when you look at their stat blocks, they have just three things. Their power, which is the number of dice they roll for whatever they do. They have their special abilities. Then they have their ectopresence, which is basically kind of their hit points. It's how many times they need to be hit with the, the proton packs to actually be able to be, be contained. Then they also all have a goal. This is why they do what they do. This is the reason why they're ghosts. And that's I think, is the most important part of the ghosts in Ghostbusters. What is their goal? Like in the case of Luigi, he's out for revenge. So he's going to make it difficult for anyone to meet a deadline by rearranging their paperwork. Then there's this another ghost, poor Clyde. He wasn't even human. He was a Doberman pincher who guarded a gas station from all the riffraff. And he worked at this gas station for 10 years, staying up all night, keeping burglars away. Then the owner of the store bought a new dog and had the old dog put to sleep. Poor Clyde. So at this point, Clyde doesn't like his previous owner, so he haunts this service station, barking loudly at cars, and uh, he'll bite his own old owner. And his goal is basically drive his owner, former owner Marty crazy. So, and that gives you an idea of what you're looking for in Ghostbusters. Just wacky stories that make for amusing situations that the players can interact with. All the, Yeah, there's... They'll be talking... Say, in the case of Clyde, they'll be talking to Marty. Marty calls him up like, Hey, I need you down here. I have a problem. They show up. Marty's talking to him. Next thing you go... You know, Marty's going, Ow, 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 holding his bum because Clyde just bit him. And that's what happens in Ghostbusters. It's just lots of wacky fun and there's also other npcs as well because we mentioned ghostbusters involved time travel at one point in the script and it actually has rules for creating items in the game and it actually says if your characters start to make stuff that'll break your game you can fix that by sending this crusader koala from beyond space and time huh. yeah who He's like part koala, part Uatu the Watcher from the Marvel Universe. <laughs> he shows up and just says, this device threatens the very fabric of the universe. Your race is not sufficiently wise to use it well. I must excise all knowledge from your mind and return it to the proper time and place. And then he uses his mental power to wipe your brain of all knowledge and he takes it from you. And he has a brains of 20 and with his fantastical mental power, he's actually rolling 23d6. So, yeah, when you try to make that br opposed brains check against him, you're probably going to lose. So koalas can be used to help keep balance in this game if your players are trying to break it. Yeah, and I think that it speaks to what we talked about last week with this idea of because – Except for that koala, a lot of the ghosts and the characters in this game have relatively similar similar stats. I mean, there's not a lot of stats, and the numbers don't get too high, so they're they're pretty similar. But it's all about the flavor that you can have similar stats. If the flavor is very different, it creates a completely different experience with each new ghost that you encounter. Right. It, 
there's one ghost in here. It actually has an ecto presence of 76. It's the ghost of the Baldwin Theater. <laughs> and with that, it was there was an old theater that was demolished and it made way for this giant high rise. But now the ghost of the old theater appears at 1 p.m., except on Sundays because there are no matinees on Sundays, and every yep. night at 8. And basically ghostly chorus lines appear. Divas and leading men are running about performing ghostly musical numbers and ghostly laughter. So basically it's like reliving all of its old past performances in this giant office complex. And it has an ectopresence of 76 because it's not one spirit. It's the spirit of the all the theater and all the performers and all the patrons. So that one would be far more difficult to just zap and capture. Yep. So that one, as if you were to put your players up against that, they would have to be a little more creative and dealing with this perhaps maybe find another venue for the ghosts to perform at that uh won't scare everyone but yeah yeah i think the zap and capture is like the primary approach but even if you remember the ghostbusters movie they don't really zap and capture many ghosts at all in the entire running time of the movie it's a tiny portion it's like what two ghosts total right yeah they had a montage when they caught a bunch of ghosts in the second one but that was really about it I still have never seen the second one, and I think I'm okay with that. <laughs> oh, and we also are all in agreement that the ghost, the real Ghostbusters cartoon can be completely forgotten by everybody, correct? Yeah, I, I really don't need a uh, possessed toilet um, attacking <laughs> my characters. Well, I mean, the real Ghostbusters cartoon, if you're playing this game, might be a good idea to watch for, like, silly ideas. Yeah, I think the tone <laughs> – I, I remember that cartoon being just annoying, and the movie's not annoying in that way. And so the tone between – the difference in tone between the cartoon and the movie is is radically different. So I think you could play the Ghostbusters game either way for sure. But I, I like the idea of keeping in mind the original movie when you're playing the game for just the tonal consistency. I, I noticed that – I did – I remember the cartoon when it came out. I remember watching it, and I remember stopped watching it when it became Slimer and the real Ghostbusters. Yeah. So it was based on Slimer doing something ridiculously stupid because I, I guess they thought people really liked Slimer. I don't know. Yeah, I guess Slimer That's, became – was one of those little cult characters, kind of like Boba Fett in Star Wars originally, that people just latched on to and sort of like, oh, let's go and put more Slimer. Maybe his maybe the Slimer toy sold well. I know there was a whole cartoon that was just based on Slimer, pretty much, and the Ghostbusters faded into the background, and it was just Slimer doing blah blah blah, blah stupid stuff the whole entire episode. Yep, that kid appeal. The kids loved it. Apparently, I don't know which kids. Wasn't one of those kids, apparently. <laughs> no, we were probably a little too old for that. Maybe not. Yeah, probably. Not. But still, I watched it because it's cool. Ghostbusters. <laughs> it's Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's the problem. You fall into that trap. Uh, if you want to do some further reading, I, I, I noticed that Polyhedron uh, number 49 did a review on Ghostbusters called Ghostbusters Re- Revisited in uh, September of 89. And there was also, which I totally forgot about this magazine, the Games Master magazine. Remember that magazine, guys? No, no I don't. No? Oh, it was a really good magazine. Uh, it came out in 1993, I believe. Well, let me see if I can find the exact date. 
it was launched in 93 with this uh with a television show to follow along with it so it was mostly based in the uk but you could still get the magazine over here you couldn't see the show really good had info insider information i think it focused more on video games towards the end and i don't know why they called games i guess because games master but anyway they uh the magazine still does exist but it's only in uh pdf or i should say electronic format via android and apple so and they mostly just focus on video games now entirely they don't even mention role-playing games anymore and uh, where else did I see the reference? Uh, there was a reference in Dragon 132. Of, they did a review uh, about role-playing reviews for the Ghostbusters in 1988. So that's uh, most of the... And uh, if, for more information, you can go to uh, GhostbustersInternational.com, which is a website dedicated to the second role-playing game, and it has the information... Which I don't understand how they legally have it up there, but according to their website, it's a legal print-up. I don't know. Matt, do you know anything behind? Oh, uh, that would be... I ha Considering how screwy all the licensing is in w with the West End game stuff, I would assume at some point... Uh, if Sony wanted it down, they could easily take it down, because Sony's the one that owns Ghostbusters. That's what I'm thinking, but they're claiming that it's a D6 and they're not profiting off of it, so... Well, that that falls under one of those... We don't care. <laughs> yeah, it, it's... Could Sony pull it down? Absolutely, because it is their property at this... It's kind of like the... It falls under the same line as classic Marvel Forever. Yeah. It It's it's identical to that. It has all the stuff up, but, all, but the in their case... In Ghostbusters International, that's just the small part of their site. It's not the main focus either. It's no. it's wow. mostly about just cataloging all things Ghostbusters. Yeah, the role playing game is a very small part of it. They just kind of goof off the whole Ghostbusters International theme from the second game, which uh, actually I thought was kind of good in a way because it kind of expanded upon the game, gave you more rules. It also brought out the uh, Tobin Spirit guy, which I thought was kind of cool which was written by Kim Mohan. You might recognize that name from the past yeah. for D&D stuff. So there you go. And I know the games are quite expensive where you could find them online. Yeah. I think we were saying, what was it, $80, uh, Tim, on Amazon, you said? Yeah, uh, I was checking it out. There was one for 55 and one for 75 but they were, uh, they were the second edition. They were the international version, and they were incomplete at that price. Usually it's like 100 or more to get a complete version. I remember I had the GBI game. I had the original, I had the GBI, but mostly we played the GBI towards the end. And we all made up, like, our own Ghostbusters as far as we took the movie characters and made up our own, like, different colors, like the red Ghostbusters, the blue Ghostbusters. And we were competing against each other. So we all had four Ghostbusters per player, and we were all competing against each other. So it was kind of cool. That's how we played it. Yeah. It's those days. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just going through sold listings on eBay, it's going for anywhere from like $30 up, depending on condition and completeness. And you'll yes. find quite a few that are missing that ghost dice. Oh, yeah. that's and Plus, <laughs> with the original ghost die, the problem was the ghost always rubbed off. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I was – I remember my dice, by the time I rolled around the Ghostbusters 2 a couple years later, there, my dice didn't have, even have a ghost symbol on them. 
So I thought it must have been really badly made. Yeah, they just put a little uh, screen print on it as opposed to actually having it engraved into the die. Which, if you look around in the right places or hang around the right conventions, you can find people actually selling dice with uh, the Ghostbuster logo on the six. It's pirate uh, dice people. Yes, pirate dice. There are people that actually sell that are violating people's intellectual property by selling their logos on dice. But yes, you can. They are findable if you look hard enough. Oh yeah, when I was at Gen Con a couple years ago with you, Matt, we and, and Jason, I remember seeing like Harry Potter dice. I'm like, uh, I didn't know they made Harry Potter dice. And the guy's like, they don't. Yep. <laughs> you did not see these. Yeah. Yes, yeah. these are not the dice you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, I saw ones with Star Wars logos on it too. I was like, oh, these were cool. I wish I picked them up. Yeah, yeah, I, I see them hanging out in like line. Waiting for Hero Clicks events, people just walk by jingling the container of dice. And then that's like the code for ask me to buy some dice since they're not actually allowed to, since they're not actually supposed to be selling their dice at the con unless they're an actual vendor. Yes. So, and if you're the police, don't bother looking in here. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I have none of these dice because they're also kind of expensive, typically running into $20 a pair. So. People. Yeah, and what are you talking about, officer? These are my dice. I was just jingling them for good luck before the game. Exactly. I had no idea there was a black market for dice that people would just jingle when they walked by. That's yeah. news to me. Yes, there is. It's wow. so, He's not lying. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. It's pretty funny, though. Yeah. Did you see it at Origins, Matt, right? Uh, yeah, saw it at Origins as well. Just walking by. Jingle, jingle, jingle. <laughs> I'll take some of that. <laughs> it's like drugs. Right. Yep. <laughs> I got what you need. And that they're pulling out their little tubs. If I got these and I got these, what do you want? I got these. I've seen Thundercat die. So uh, a friend of mine bought those at did? Origins. Okay. I didn't. A friend of mine did. Oh, okay. okay. They were like five dollars a die. Yeah, but they were cool looking. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. All right. So to wrap things up, I'm to what we think of this game. Uh, I definitely would think this game is good as a one shot, maybe a couple shots in case players don't show up backup game. Like Matt said in the past about the players don't show up. You always just pull out this game and just play it for the night. I think that'd be kind of cool for ghostbusters. Other than that, I don't think a real serious game can be made out of this original game. Right. That's just my opinion. Matt, what do you think? I agree. It's a great one shot game. If you're wanting a night of like light gaming and just having a bunch of fun, try it and I'm sure you'll love it. But, yeah, it's not going to be a serious campaign where you get emotionally involved with your character, deeply involved with your characters, because you don't have that risk of death. You don't... There's no... There's no. not a lot of serious, tense drama to it. It's it's a comedic game with some horror tossed in, so it's meant to be fun, and it's not going to hold up for a long campaign, I think the jokes could grow thin if you played it for six months straight. But busting it out once every two, three months, I think you'll have a blast with it. So, What do you think, Tim? Yeah, I think the same thing. I think the lack of 
character peril is a big problem because the way this system punishes the players for failing is that it just makes their lives more inconvenient. So they might have to fill out more permits or they might get visits by some local authority. And so that like if that happens, that just makes the game bogged down in boringness. And so it is fun for a one shot or maybe, you know, if you're doing it over a short span of time for a couple of weeks. But I do think things would get stale and I do think the lack of character danger really is a problem in the end. Hmm. All right, so there you have a Ghostbusters review. What was out back then during the advanced for Dungeons and Dragons first edition era? Uh, obviously, we're not going to do a GBI because that came out in '89, which was more the predominance of the second edition. Boo. Uh, anyway, Thacko's Hammer could do that. That's their job. Yeah. <laughs> so all I'm going to say: uh, keep it original, keep it old school. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.
Can't be 